Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Later on for our inbox, we have a guy who's trying to be encouraging to his girlfriend, um, but she feels like he keeps bringing up her past, specifically an eating disorder that she's struggled with, where he's concerned that she hasn't yet overcome it. So one of our counselors is going to weigh in, hopefully with some insight for him. And then for our culture, uh, Dr. Jeff Orge is uh, here to talk about shadow Christian. What is a shadow Christian? Uh, You have to listen to find out, okay? So uh, what it means, uh, we will talk about serving God in that capacity. So definitely check it out. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, I'm very excited to welcome a few guests to talk about feeling not good enough. And I was only half joking with them before we started taping that it was like, uh, sorry, I picked you guys, but, um, or I could blame it on John. John, my producer picked you guys, so you can take it up with him. Um, but anyway, we actually had some comments in our Boundless Insiders group, and we love going there to find out what people are talking about and what they're asking us. And um, they were specifically talking about not feeling good enough for a dating relationship. And I don't know if that meant prior to the relationship or during a relationship, uh, probably a both and. And so we thought, well, let's just open this whole can of worms. We're going to talk about not feeling good enough for dating, for friendships, uh, social media comparisons. I mean, I think there are plenty of opportunities out there for us to just uh, basically feel terrible. And so, hey, why not talk about it? So um, (laughs) hopefully, though, those of us who are, uh, as we center ourselves on Christ and understand that, we can kind of overcome Uh, those negative thoughts, because we know that it's usually Satan just trying to stick it to us. So I want to welcome Mark, Janelle, and Adam. Hey, y'all. Hi. Thanks for having us on. Hey, Lisa. Hey. Okay, so let's first of all just get some personal perspective on this. What in your life has triggered feelings of not being good enough? Was there a specific situation that comes to mind? Is it kind of this overarching, like, anytime I'm in this situation, uh, maybe a breakup, a disappointment, someone else's, uh, here's something we didn't talk about, or I didn't preview yet, someone else's accomplishments, and then you're kind of in the face of that. What is it for you? So I can't really speak from the dating perspective. That's not something that I have experienced with yet, but definitely everything you just said of social media, friend groups, accomplishments people have, um, you know, just basic rejection if I'm not invited to do something, really just all of it. I've had to learn how to accept myself and really think through those circumstances and what what really is going on that I'm not being aware of? Am I really being rejected? Or is it that I'm seeing myself as not being good enough and being rejected in whatever that is? Yeah. Isn't it? um, I think it's Mindy Kaling that wrote that book, Why Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? And like kind of on that idea of like exactly what you're saying, Janelle, when you go on social media and you're like, "Um, all my friends just had a party and I wasn't even invited. What's going on? And now they're posting pictures. Awkward. Exactly. Okay, Mark, how about you? Yeah, Janelle and Lisa, I'm glad you both mentioned social media. But uh, the biggest trigger for me, for sure, is when you're uh, you, you're scrolling through your social media, your Instagram or your Facebook, and it feels like nothing but diamonds and white dresses. And uh, <laughs> if it's not diamonds and white dresses, then it's new job uh, recommendations or, or announcements or it's mm-hmm. travel or whatever the heck big life event it is. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, shoot, despite the things that I've done, that I've accomplished, and the fact that I know I'm on my own journey with Christ through through this life, it is hard not to think, man, I, I am falling behind. Like I, I am, life is a race and I am not running it fast mm-hmm. enough. And that's just, that's social media. You guys both kind of landed on it. I, I use social media to keep up with people, to see what they're doing. And then that can kind of backfire when you are not doing the things that everyone else is doing. And you think, mm-hmm. shoot. And the problem with that, there's two things, is that, well, not everyone else is doing that. You are seeing the highlight reel, and you're the comparing curated that. curated yeah. version. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're seeing, you're, you're comparing your behind the scenes to their highlight reel. The other problem with that is that, I mean, journeys look different, right? Like right. you, mm-hmm. some people go through different stages of life at different times. And I found it's totally pointless to hold up my own journey to somebody else's and then just beat myself up for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny you say that because I remember one of our bloggers, Suzanne Goslin, posted, I think it was her, um, Suzanne, correct me if I'm wrong If when you listen to this. Um, she posted a photo of like her living room, but it was like the edge of a table. It looked super artistic. It had flowers on it. There were like books in the background. It looked just super awesome, this soft filter. And then next to it, she posted a photo of her living room zoomed out. And there were, you know, she's now a mom. There were like toys everywhere that... <laughs> couch was a mess there was a spill on the floor it just looked super gross okay and I mean not gross Suzanne's house isn't gross but kind of like untidy let's say and it was just such a great example of like when you just home in on something and it's like that's not the true picture and sure enough she illustrated that so well yeah that's 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 a good example Yeah. Adam, what about you? Tell us about your... Well, I'll do two different categories. <laughs> yes. um, I will do the dating thing. And I've been on the show before. And before I met my wife, and, and we were both 34 when I got married. And I did my best to sabotage that relationship. But we managed to hold on and cross the finish line. It's all been good since. Um, I just really like the idea of love and romance and girls. And, and I was kind of like just a big puppy dog. And I as puppies often do, they're terrifying to people who've just met them because they (laughs) they jump all over them. And so that resulted in a lot of rejection. And I think that when you go through a similar kind of rejection over and over and over, I I don't want to make light of people who have like actual clinical PTSD, but it sort of feels like that. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh man, I've been here before. Mm -hmm. And you can even start to feel like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. And you just totally clench up and that's like, you know, you're just finishing yourself off. I mean, like, so I think that when you feel like you're not good enough, um, you could start to self-sabotage all over the place, uh, especially in romantic relationships. But the other area that's totally removed from that, that I still really wrestle with is I was never very athletic. And so sports were always hard. Um, and even when I played, I was, you know, the last kid picked and I wouldn't hit the ball. Right. I remember I played football for a couple of years and I had a football bounce off my helmet and my chief rival on the team caught it and ran for a touchdown. I'm like, Oh man, I don't, out of a movie. I don't need my life to be a movie right now. Can I just get the interception? Right. Um, and my wife's family is super athletic. Like they do triathlons and, you know, it's crazy how athletic, like their idea of a family weekend is, hey, let's go to the mountains and run a, a marathon together. And I'm like, hey, I'll be there at the end with Starbucks and donuts, you know, <laughs> and and it's actually sifted a lot of insecurities that her family has this very athletic culture and my family doesn't and I am not. And I and it makes me feel insecure. So yeah. And the the Colorado equivalent of that is like if you don't do things that make you look like you're in an REI or Patagonia ad, Seriously. it's like why do you even live here? Right? You know, so it's like I mean, I have friends like I, I have one friend who I I go to um, his place and like he has an entire room dedicated to like climbing equipment and ski equipment, and I'm like. First of all, how much money do you make and why is it all invested? I mean, it's just I immediately I get super judgy and I'm just like, what is this about? And then I know that part of it is just because I'm like, if I ever were on the the face of a rock wall, it would be because I fell off a right. cliff and I was clinging for dear life. Somebody so, got a picture yeah. of you mid-fall, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> that, would be ab- that would be about it. Exactly. So, um, okay. Well, let's talk about like what, how much of this, this is kind of a weird question to ask, but if you're thinking about it, how much of this is our problem and how much of this is external? Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, some things are just reality. There are people, there's always someone that's going to be better at something than us. There's always going to be someone that's more attractive than us. There's always going to be someone that gets more dates than we do. I mean, it just is what it is. So how do we deal with the reality of that, but also not make it some self-fulfilling prophecy of like self-hatred and a downward spiral in, in, you know, where do we go to reframe that Mm. kind of stuff? Well, I think like a lot of things, it's a both and. Um, Talking first externally, 
and specifically like you mentioned Adam in the in the realm of of dating and finding someone to choose you it, I think oh man this is difficult because as Christians especially as I think American Christians we've taken the family and ironically I, I work focus on the family so I, I think I believe in family a lot but I think we've taken the nuclear family and we've made it an essential part of the Christian life it's almost as if we're telling our kids uh, by faith you have been saved and also by a family <laughs> and it's because we know family is good and it's great and it's life-giving for so many reasons, social, political, all of these reasons, it's great. But then when we tell our kids that, and that's all our kids see, if you feel like you're not getting there, it's crushing. It is, mm -hmm. it's like a, a piece of evidence that you're not good enough. No one chose me. Nobody, nobody fell in love with me. Nobody... Nobody's willing to say all these beautiful things that you read on social media about me. And it must be because I'm not trying hard enough. I'm yeah. not running fast enough. I'm not going on enough dates. I'm not, I'm not being a nice enough person. I'm not working on myself enough. And to take off from the, from the other side, it is, to an extent, uh, an element of we have to just get over it ourselves. Like, we have to stop putting these things on ourselves. We can choose to put this kind of expectation upon ourselves like it's put on us externally but we can also embrace it and for me a key to to getting out of that is first externally is being around people who value a relationship with christ above all other things even more so than having a family in the way that we we traditionally do and from the inside just repeating to myself the fact that i wasn't saved because i got married i wasn't saved because i produced godly children i was saved because I submitted myself to the will of Christ, and that's the most important thing that I can see in my life. So it is, both from the outside and from the inside, as I see it. Yeah, that's interesting you say that, because it's very much the perception is that that is the consummate hallmark of belonging, mm -hmm. is this idea mm -hmm. of the nuclear family. And really, belonging is belonging to the family of God. I mean, mm -hmm. that is ultimately your, your belonging. We know, I've said this before on Boundless, this is like the leveling of the playing field. There is no marriage in heaven, folks. Mm -hmm. And so it is a picture of the covenant uh, that God has between uh, himself and, and his people. So, yeah. When I was going to add to that, that it's easy for us to get into the checklist mindset of this is what I should be doing by this specific age. Mm -hmm. And I should have completed this by this specific age. And our world is very checklist oriented and God is more process oriented. Mm -hmm. And so... I think it's great that we, if we have that desire or, you know, God wants to give us the gift of marriage and families and all of that, it's good for us to think about that and to want that. But it's easy for us to get into that cycle of envy and comparison when we see other people, especially on social media, making those milestones. And you can quickly go from, I'm so happy for you and it's so cool to see you finally reach this milestone we talked for so many years about to hey, wait a minute, what about me? Am I included in that? Mm -hmm. And I've had so many times where I thought that to myself and I just had to stop and remind myself of, okay, what does the Lord tell me? Mm -hmm. I'm on my own journey. If I want this, I'm going to get there, but I'm getting so focused on what's wrong with me. Is there something about me that people don't like? Is this something I won't get to ever experience? And I have to come back and remind myself of, no, if you have that desire on your heart, if God wants to give you that gift and he's made that known to you, then focus on where you are and what he's doing in your life because he's planting the seeds for that future. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there are a multiple, a multitude of internal and external things. Um, I think one of the most important external things is so basic, but we can lose track of it. And that's just having good relationships with people. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. um, when we have people that we can tell the truth about how we're doing, it externalizes it in a healthy way. Cause then, you know, we can get some feedback, we can get some encouragement and hopefully we have people who will listen to us compassionately but also say, okay, and now it's time for you to get over yourself. We need to like, mm -hmm. yeah. let's go to a movie, right? Because mm -hmm. some of us can get so wrapped around the axle internally Absolutely. that we just kind of shut down emotionally. And we need sometimes people to gently but firmly kinda. pull us out of our self-absorption. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and I was really, really, I mean, I, I hate the whole hashtag blessed thing. Well, I don't hate it, but it's <laughs> it's a cliche. But I really was blessed to have people in my life that would listen to me whine and would listen to me mourn. And sometimes there is real wounding there and, and there's genuine mourning. And sometimes I'm just 
I'm just wrapped up in my stuff and I have You're no perspective. Idolizing. Someone's got to pull you totally. out of the idolizing. Um, yeah. So I think that's important externally. Um, and I think it's important internally to be able to recognize when you're sort of spinning counterclockwise like a hurricane into a, a really toxic place. Mm-hmm. And I heard somebody, it's not my idea, you know, somebody once said, guilt is I did a bad thing. Shame says I am a bad thing. Yeah. And if I am just sort of, you know, meditating on how awful I am, man, it's a terrible place to be emotionally and psychologically and spiritually. And I think in those moments, again, this is a textbook Jesus-y answer. God's word reframes my reality mm-hmm. and it reminds me of what's true. And I still have a responsibility to take hold of that, to appropriate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's there. And he pulls me out of those lies of, you know, I'm garbage or I'm not good enough. Or the, It's different for all of us, but it's all in that. Mm-hmm. That neck of the woods. Yeah. Well, I think piggybacking on what you're saying, Adam, you know, it's so good for me to be reminded of how, like, if you're single and not in a relationship right now, I hope you have single friends who are also healthy, yep. who yeah. are just kind of there with you. Because again, not that you shouldn't have married friends and people from all walks of life, but to have that person, you know, because I have other single friends and it just makes me feel so good to know these are like quality people and they're not married and that is totally okay. And it makes me feel not like the, the outsider that's like, Oh my goodness, sorry. You know, you, we couldn't find anyone for you. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, just go Mm -hmm. sit over here by yourself. And likewise in friendship, rather than trying to aspire to the, you know, this is so sad thinking we're not in junior high anymore, but it's so true. Rather than aspiring to the, the popular kids table or kids club or whatever, Make friends just with quality people based on who they are and shared affinities and things you can learn from one another. And maybe you need to be the one who's the initiator and starting a group of friends or initiating friendship for someone else rather than waiting to be included in some other club. I think that's so important. Um, Okay, so I want just in our last couple of minutes here, because we've touched on social media, let's just talk about that a minute, about strategies to not let social media take over your entire relationship experience because I know because you guys just shared it you're all on social media (laughs) so don't even talk to me about how short of like completely cutting yourself off you know you're going to have to navigate this space so what does it look like Mm -hmm. I know for me so I went on a social media fast a couple weeks ago I was very caught up in the envy and comparison and just feeling down on myself and needing something to occupy my mind when I was bored. And I just felt really convicted to honestly delete the apps. You know, my account was still there. So delete the app, get it off your phone, get it out of, you know, your your reach. So it wasn't a temptation. And it was a very weird couple of weeks, honestly. I didn't know what to do to occupy my time. But when I felt called to re-download it. I felt like God was saying, don't give it up forever. Just give it up for the season. So when I felt called to re-download it, I went back on and just started realizing how icky that that feeling I was sitting in was and how I was comparing myself and saying, no, I'm good enough. And, you know, I'm just enjoying what these other people are doing and staying connected. But really in the back of my mind, that seed was getting planted of, well, what if I'm not good enough? Or, you know, I'm so jealous of where these people are in their life. And so I've had to start telling myself, okay, you can be on it, but where is your worth coming from? Who is telling me I'm not good enough? Is that, you know, a lie of the devil that's getting implanted into my mind that I'm believing? Or is that, you know, something I'm choosing to take on for myself? And what does God say about it? So where does my worth come from? Because I can't block out all the negativity in life, but I can choose what I want to do with it and how I want to engage with people on social media so I can stay connected, but also ride that fine line of when is it becoming an idol and when do I need to step back from it? Social media is so fun and it has brought so many people together and it has driven so many people into depression. Okay, I hear... Here's the thing. Here's the thing about social media. I'm going to drop one piece of truth on on you guys that I didn't come up with. It was told to me, and it blew my mind about social media. And I think we all know this. We think we know this, but we don't realize it. So I'm going to say it real clear. It's not real. 
None of it. Social media is a big fantasy world that we build for ourselves and we build to show each other and it's never been real and it never will be real. Doesn't mean it can't be good. Doesn't mean you can't keep up with people on it. You can't mm-hmm. kind of be your, I kind of use my social media, my Instagram page is like a get to know me kind of thing. If I give someone my Instagram, if I'm just meeting them, like this, these are some of the things that I enjoy. I enjoy hiking and swimming and hanging out with friends and yada, yada, yada. But I think we, this problem started when we started to think that social media was a place to be real. It doesn't mean you can't be authentic on social media. You don't have to be mm-hmm. a faker. But when we start thinking that the people we see on Instagram are their full selves and the things that we see on Instagram are full reality, that is a dangerous place to be because it never was. And I don't think it was ever meant to be. Instagram, when it, yeah. when it started, it was meant to be a photo editing and sharing app. That's what it was. It was for photographers. And then it blew up. And it's kind of become this beast that no one really expected. But to wrap all that up, social media is not real. And to look at it and compare it with your real life, it doesn't get you anywhere. I think the people who are healthiest on social media are the ones who either don't care at all or they know it's not real. And they know like, okay, cool, you went on a trip. You then went home and then went to work for five days a week and didn't do anything else interesting. Not saying that's a bad thing at all, but... That's the part that we don't see. So social media is not real. And if you treat it like it's real, it's going to make you depressed. Man, that's good stuff. I want to put a a theological, not a spin, but I want to add to how it's not real. Um, Add away. So a number of years ago, I read a book called Flickering Pixels by a pastor named Shane Hips. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember a ton about the book except for one distinction he made And I think he may have coined this term or at least popularized it. He said, the thing we have to realize about technology in general is that when we are communicating with somebody at a distance, it is discarnate Hmm. as opposed to incarnate, that Christ was with us in the flesh. And he said, it doesn't necessarily make it bad, but it's not the same thing as being face to face with someone. And I think the question I would ask is, you know, how are your face-to-face relationships? Like, um, and at the point at which things sort of become overwhelmingly in the social media sphere, that's time to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I'm old enough and personality wise, I get on Facebook. My primary experience with Facebook and Instagram is I feel overwhelmed, not from a competitive perspective, but, oh, I should talk to that person. Oh, I haven't touched base in a long time. Oh, my word. What's going on with them? And in five minutes, I feel guilty. Hmm. Um, And the other observation I would make is that social media does something extraordinarily weird. And we live life in seasons linearly, right? And we have relationships for those seasons. Social media takes every relationship we ever had and makes it cotemporaneous. Another Hmm. big word. Mm -hmm. Like I had a kid who I had a fight with in fifth grade, (laughs) friend me a while back. And I'm like, I hated your guts in fifth grade. (laughs) Why are you friending me? But there he is in my list of friends Mm. with everybody else that I've had relationships with for the last 45 years. That's weird. weird. And Mm -hmm. so I think even just understanding the context that social media does some unnatural things and it's okay to say, man, I love connecting with my friends through it. Uh, but it doesn't have to be everything. Even though everything you guys have both said, mm-hmm. it's a custom made for comparison, and mm-hmm. we have to opt out of that. Yeah, that's such a good point, and very much, I mean, I'm just thinking here, and I've said this at Boundless before, that it really comes down to identity and where you're getting your yes. identity from, because if you don't know who God is and who God says you are, you're the great things people say about you, whether on social or elsewhere, are never going to be enough. And the bad things people say about you or the ways you don't get included will completely slay you. Mm-hmm. And so we have to choose uh, to get our identity from Christ alone, from what he says about us in his word. And that's a starting point. And that's where we need to shore up, you know, and not worry about, you know, because then it's going to be like, did this post get 12 likes or th- Oh, I'm up to 13. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, awesome. You know, it's never, <laughs> it's just, I'm feeding, okay. it's, 
feeding the beast. So you guys, oh man, we're out of time, but I love it when we can start conversations like this. Uh, those of you listening, please weigh in with your own thoughts because I know you have them and your own experiences. So um, you just find us uh, there on the post around this episode and uh, we would love to hear you weigh in. So you guys, thanks so much for your part in this. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Lisa. This world is a thief Walking the streets Trying to steal my hope Steal my dreams Dressed up in disguise Whispering lies So sweet I don't want to go one more day Watching you take All the good things in this life The good Lord gave I'm taking Okay, folks, well, we are here for this week's culture segment, and I get to welcome to the program uh, Jeff Orge. He is an author, he's a speaker, professor, pastor, my goodness, he's done it all. And specifically today, he has a book that is titled Shadow Christians Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. And who cannot identify with this, okay? This is like, uh, Jeff and I were just talking uh, before we began about, you know, this, just the the insanity around everyone wanting to be a YouTube star, everyone thinking that to be effective, you have to be popular or well-known or whatever. And uh, we want to debunk that. And I'm very grateful that Jeff has written this book and has the expertise to talk this through. So Jeff, welcome to The Boundless Show. Hey, thanks for having me on today, and thanks for bringing up this topic. It's important for a lot of folks. Absolutely. So, um, well, and you have quite a few uh, credentials as well, including a, a Master's of Divinity and a Doctorate of Ministry, although I found it hilarious in your bio that you went to both Midwestern Baptist and Southwestern Baptist. So what other directional schools are you going to be attending during your career? I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. That's always been an amusing part of my past is I don't seem to be able to go to a school that doesn't have a direction in it. So, (laughs) well, well, that's good. Hopefully you'll be very well-rounded maybe by the time you finish all this out. So that's, that's pretty awesome. So, um, and you have written quite a few books in fact, uh, which is pretty neat for us to see, but uh, we're excited about uh, talking through this topic specifically today. And so I actually want, you know, I, I said the title of the book is Shadow Christians. Give us uh, just an idea because people maybe are just jumping in right now and they're like, okay, what in the world are we talking about? Is this some kind of uh, uh, comic book series? Is this something about a, a spy novel, whatever? What does the term shadow Christian mean? And why are shadow Christians, in your estimation, specifically significant in the kingdom? Well, shadow Christians are people who work in the dimly lit shadows of Christian ministry. We tend to put so much focus on spotlight leaders. That's people who are on the platform, uh, people who write the books, people who uh, are popular on social media. And we think, oh, those are the really important people. But from my years of experience in ministry leadership, I've discovered that the people who really make ministry happen are the people who are working behind the scenes. And as I say, in the shadows. And so that's the the way that the phrase shadow Christians emerged is that it was really the people who don't work in the spotlight. It's the people who work in the shadows. It's really the rest of us for most of us who find ourselves doing that kind of work to make a real difference in our churches or in organizations or in ministries. Yeah, that is like totally my dad. I mean, my dad comes to mind, uh, even though he was, he always only half jokingly said that his ministry trajectory kind of was like on a backward, uh, downward spiral, because <laughs> he started out coming out of seminary. He and my mom were missionaries for a while, then he was a pastor. And then he ended his career by being a church maintenance guy, and uh, and custodial worker. And I remember going with him, and I was probably in junior high at the time, uh, going with him during summers, some days to work with him, and, and him sitting in the church fellowship hall and straightening all the chairs like he was doing it against a ruler. And I was kind of like, Dad, who cares how, you know, straight these chairs are? And he's just like, you know what? I care because it matters. And I want this place to be ready for what goes on here. And I just remember him saying that and the importance of that to him yeah. to, to make his mark and have an impact. 
your dad was a great example of a shadow Christian. It's amazing how many people like that are working behind the scenes to make church ministry happen. When you go to church on Sunday and you see the people up on the platform, you think, oh, you know, those are the people that are really important. But you think about the dozens, if not hundreds of people who are not up there in the spotlight that are making the difference. They're changing diapers and setting up chairs and patrolling parking lots and counting money and planning and leading Bible studies and leading out in youth ministries and all the different kinds of things that make church happen. Uh, the person on the stage is the spotlight leader, and he or she gets a lot of notice and uh, a lot of attention. And frankly, we need good leaders like that. Yeah. But most leaders know that the work really gets done by the people who I call in my ministry or in my book, the ministry workforce, yeah. the people who fill out the org chart all the way down. You know, you know who's in the top box. That's like the president or the pastor or the CEO or the top leader. But then there's all those other boxes on the chart, and that's where the work really gets done. Yeah, well, even in the Christian community, I mean, I think we have to be honest that, yeah, we tend to give press to the people that we think have been the most effective. And I know, you know, he just went to be with the Lord a few years ago, but Billy Graham was one of those folks. But you actually tell the story in the book or kind of give the the illustration of how um, everyone would assume like, oh, Billy Graham, you know, he's going to get more credit from God because he did all these crusades. But you kind of give an example comparing a crusade of his to regular people who share their faith. And I would love for you to kind of outline that for folks. Yeah, I was actually a part of a Billy Graham crusade in Portland, Oregon, many years ago, and it was fascinating to watch it all come together. And I, in that crusade, there were about 100,000 people that came each night for about 10 nights. So that would be a million people who came to the crusade. And if you've been a part of a Graham event, you know that about half the people who come are church people who are bringing their friends and about half are people that are coming really seeking to hear the message. And so that's about a half a million people who heard the gospel in those 10 days, which is great. But I just thought how many people worked so hard to make that happen. And if you took that half a million people who brought a friend to the Graham Crusade, and if they just shared the gospel with one person a week for a year, they'd share the gospel about 26 million times. <laughs> and so you start thinking about, yeah, the Graham Crusade was fantastic and it's wonderful to have a spotlight leader that has all these gifts and can make this impact. And I'm not negative about any of that. That's great that God gives us people like that. But we can't overlook the, the impact we can make when not just one, but thousands of people get involved in ministry leadership, including things like evangelism. And the wave of, of effectiveness that comes out of that movement is what makes such a difference. And that's really where shadow Christians uh, can make their impact. Yeah. Well, I think another comparison that people make, and, uh, you know, we could use Billy Graham as an example here, is the the type of people that they minister to. So again, we could say, oh, well, of course, you know, Billy Graham had an impact because he had the ear of all these presidents. Or, you know, what I need to do is I need to go and, and get these celebrities saved because then they'll really have an impact. But you actually use the story of the woman in Luke chapter 7 about how Jesus interacted with all kinds of folks, specifically overlooked people. And why do you think including that story in, in the Gospels is such a powerful one? Well, that story and many others, like Jesus healing the leper, restoring the blind, uh, eyes to the blind, sight to the blind, all those kinds of things, tell us over and over again how important it was that Jesus connected with hurting people, uh, about people that were overlooked, people that were out of the way places, and in connecting with them, transform their lives. And who knows then the transformation they had in the lives of others. But I think that it's so easy to think that if you just reach an influencer or reach a prominent person, that they're going to have this real impact on others. And yet, when you talk to people who've really been influenced by others, it's very seldom those people who get mentioned. Like in my book, I give several illustrations of people who impacted me. And as I've shared those illustrations around the country speaking on the book, it's amazing how many people come up to me and say, oh, I have a person just like that in my life. Like, for example, in the book, I tell the story of a retired carpenter who was a Sunday school teacher of mine when I was a boy, a really bad teacher. OK, he held up the, the, the little quarterly and just read to it. And that was his idea of a lesson plan. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, man, this is so boring. And yet he had us over to his house and his wife would let us, you know, the guys come over and do things in their backyard. And and we'd watch college football with him sometimes and just different things like that. And he would come to my house about once every month or two and just seat check in with me and see how I was doing. And 
that man made a profound difference in my life, and yet no one's ever heard of him. And as I think back through the people who've really impacted me, it was people like that. It wasn't famous or well-known people. Yes, it was great to go to a conference and hear a speaker. That's one thing. But I'm talking about the day-to-day impact of life rubbing off on life. That really happens from individuals that most people have never heard of making a difference in our lives. And then, frankly, in us making a difference in the lives of others in the same way. Yeah. So help us think through here, Jeff, like to take this into our everyday lives. So for that person listening who, you know, young adult, let's take them uh, into work on a Wednesday. So maybe they work in an office or maybe they work in a classroom or a school and they're like, I can't just be all preaching, you know, within the confines of the public schools or maybe they work in a hospital. What does it look like for them to to do this? What does it look like to be Christ in the environment you're in while being a normal person who's taking opportunities as you see them? What would be like an example of that playing out? I would say the first thing is own where you are and accept how God has made you and the opportunities he's given you. So if you're a teacher or a nurse, if you're an architect or an engineer or a childcare provider, whatever it is that God has made you to be, don't devalue that role and that opportunity. And then second, pay attention to people around you because it doesn't matter where you are, what kind of context you find yourself, you, you will intersect with people who are hurting, who have difficulty, who have struggle, who need someone to care for them. And that's the foundation really of making an impact as a shadow Christian. And that is noticing people around you, caring for them, meeting their needs, and then through that process, having the opportunity, as appropriate, to share the gospel and talk about uh, your relationship with God uh, with them. But it really starts with not devaluing who you are or where you are. Don't say, well, I'm just a teacher, I'm just a nurse, or I'm just an architect, I'm just a child care provider. I really can't do much because I'm not the pastor up on the platform. Yes, you can make a significant difference right where you are, Uh, Even if no one knows your name, the people around you know your name and they're counting on you to make a difference in their lives. Yeah, that's very true. And really, it does, you know, again, right, right where you are and where you have the opportunity to intersect with other people is where it can most naturally happen. Exactly. And, you know, the Bible talks over and over about God valuing small things done in out of the way places. And I give illustration after illustration about that in the book. But one that really speaks to me is you're is in the in first Corinthians, Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. And he actually says, you know, not everyone's a hand and not everyone's the eyes. And you have to value the unseen parts, the parts of the body that aren't as noticeable, but make a huge difference. And I had cancer a number of years ago and through some surgeries, uh, some things happened in my body that never really fully bounced back. And uh, I had this one little gland called a parathyroid in my neck and, and they, they stopped working after my surgeries. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, how big of a deal can that be? Right. Hmm. Well, it's been a big deal for 25 years now because I've had to take medication to replace the function of that little gland and what it means in my body for me to remain healthy And with that daily medication, I function fine, but without it, not so much. My point is, I lost something I didn't even know I had that was so tiny, it was was even inconceivable that it could make that much of a difference. And yet all these years now, I've had to live with it and the impact of it. And listen, the body of Christ is like that. There are unseen parts that matter. So you may not think that you're all that high profile. You don't have a lot of Twitter followers. You know, your name's not on the program on Sunday. You didn't get to see yourself on the stage and you think, well, I don't really matter, but you do because every person matters and the contribution you make is significant. It may be unseen, maybe unknown, but like that little gland in my body, it's vital for the health of the body and the health of the ministry that God wants us to do in our world today. Yeah, that's so interesting. That reminds me of when I was in college. I did my college internship down in Paraguay, and I may have shared this on Boundless before. But, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of people will think of me now and say, oh, well, Lisa, you know, you're one to talk. You host an international podcast. You're out there, you know, influencing all these people on social media, blah, blah, blah. But I remember in that season that I lived with a family in Paraguay that did not speak English. 
And I remember thinking, what in the world am I supposed to be doing here? Because I, my Spanish was very limited. And so here I am, sink or swim. And I remember just thinking, like, there were all these clever ways that I would have loved to present the gospel with all myriad illustrations and whatnot. And I couldn't do any of that. And it was near the end of my summer that my host mom kind of said to me, you know, I would love for you to help me find a Bible study because I just feel like since you arrived in our home at the front end of this summer, there's been such a peace in this home and there's such a spirit about you that is something different. And it was so hilarious because it's just God saying, you know what, I'm going to do the work here. And this isn't about you putting together clever presentations or witty ways of strong arming people into the kingdom, <laughs> but you're just going to evidence the Holy Spirit. And that's where I'm going to do the work. And it was such a lesson to me, Jeff, about how God really has his purposes and he's just looking for people to show up. That is so exactly true, and I'm so glad you told that story. Another thing I would say about you is even though you're well-known, like you said, you host a podcast, you're, you're out there in public life, you know, you're only well-known in a small segment of the world's population. Yes. Uh, even spotlight leaders need to come to grips with the reality that maybe they're not quite as big a deal as they think they are. I had this experience a year or so ago. I went to India. And I went with a team of students from our school to do evangelism and missions. And because of some travel issues, I wound up having to go on a separate flight and meet them at the airport when we all arrived there. I got there about two hours before they did. And I sat there in the airport thinking, I'm in this country with a billion people and not one person here knows my name. And if they did know my name, they wouldn't care. <laughs> you know, where I come from, yeah, a lot of people know who I am at my school and with my writing and speaking. Yeah, a little bit of name recognition. But... Honestly, there are billions of people in the world who've never heard of me and wouldn't care if they did. And it reminded me that I need to not think so highly of myself, but just realize I'm responsible to fulfill the role God gave me and not worry so much about all this notoriety and getting followers and being popular or having a celebrity uh, status, but just recognizing the need to serve and be effective wherever God puts me. Yeah. Okay, first of all, Jeff, I'm huge. I don't know if you know that, but I just feel I need to weigh in with that. You're the only person who, prior to talking me, to me, didn't know who I was. Just seeing, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just trying to elevate my own importance. No, okay, so just well, that, joking. Just yeah, joking. I was going to say, and, that, and that's certainly <laughs> catching on to the spirit of the podcast. So yeah. Great job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just so, I'm so big. I don't it, no longer even know how to describe myself. That's yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Um, right. Okay. No, not true. Um, okay. So let's talk about uh, kind of in our last few minutes here. I, I want you to, because I think it is, it's so true. And this is where we get so caught up in the lies of Satan, because my estimation in everything that I've seen in what it means to, you know, be Jesus to people, share the gospel as you can. God does not give credit for volume. He gives credit for faithfulness. And so, exactly. and that is exactly what your book is, is talking about. And again, the book is Shadow Christians, because I would love for you to tell the story of, I think his name was Burtis, who just like a guy work in a booth. And all of a sudden, it's this guy who had quite an impact on your life, on the life of, was it your mom? I mean, yeah, tell his yeah. story. Because again, I mean, this is kind of like where we, you know, we don't think often enough of heaven and what it's going to be like to be gathered with the saints, many of whom we don't even know where their stories are now or where they're going to end up. But um, I think this is a great example of, uh, he reminds me of my dad. Yeah. Well, I was a, a young guy when I was 13 that did not grow up in a Christian family. Uh, went to church a few times and then I went to the fair. Went, walked off the midway into the exhibit building and there's a booth inside this giant fairgrounds that said Elmcrest Baptist Church public opinion poll. <laughs> and I thought, that's weird what are they doing at the fair? And that's the church where I went to Sunday school. So I went over to the booth and I said, what are you guys doing here? And they, they told me that they were taking public opinion polls and they were talking to people about spiritual issues and about community needs and about how the church could be more effective in their area. And would I like to participate? And so I did and make a long story very short, about 20 or 30 minutes later, um, they presented the gospel to me and I prayed and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. Hmm. My life changed forever that day at the fair. And the man who led me to faith in Jesus was named Burtis. 
He was a, a associate pastor of a church, not a large church, not a well-known church, not a famous church in any way, but just a faithful church that showed up at the fair, tried to connect with their community, tried to learn about the needs that were available, uh, and then shared the gospel when people were open to hearing it. Well, Bertus led me to faith in Christ. And then for the next 25 years, served me, uh, helped me to grow as a Christian through my teenage years. Ultimately, I became an intern in that church and worked under his direction. And, and then more years went by, and I went off into pastoral ministry and other things. And then after 25 years, he retired. And as a supply pastor, went out to a small church to help a situation where there was no pastor at the time. And my mother lived on a ranch near there, and she called me and she said, Bertus Williams is preaching at the little church down by our house. We're thinking about going there some Sunday. Well, that was news to me because my mother was almost 60, and she'd never been to anyone's church. <laughs> and she went out to that little church. They fell in love with it. And a few weeks later, she committed her life to Jesus Christ. And so the same man who led me to faith in Christ 25 years later led my mother to faith in Christ. And I have to tell you, you may have never heard of Bertus Williams, and he may not be well-known, and he may not be a spotlight leader, and he may not have a podcast or be on the radio or written a lot of books, but he changed my life and he changed my mom's life. And then, you know, you think about what God has used me to do. I've written a handful of books and spoken hundreds, if not thousands of times and started a church. Now I'm a president of a seminary. Who knew that all of that was going to come out of a 13-year-old boy coming to faith in Jesus at a fair? But that's what happened because Bertus Williams was faithful to share the gospel with me. So, hey, if you're a shadow Christian, you can make an impact in the lives of young people and maybe their parents. Yep. And you may even lead a seminary president to faith in Jesus. You just never know. Yep. And when you see that Baptist booth at the fair, just stop by. You never know what great work is going on in there. I'm telling <laughs> no you. No kidding. That's exactly That's right. pretty yeah. awesome. Well, cool. As we close out here, um, again, I want to remind folks the book is Shadow Christians. And we actually want to make this book available to you um, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And so, you know, I do this uh, on the show when we have a great book that we want to highlight. And so you just go to boundless.org. You can even search for 698. That's this week's episode number. You'll see the book there. Just click on it. Any gift to Boundless for the work that we're already doing, anything you can afford, and we want to send this gift, uh, this book to you as our thank you um, just for being part of the Boundless family. And so uh, just, you know, thanks, many thanks uh, to you, Jeff, for writing the book and for uh, sharing your stories in the midst of this. It, it really is a blessing. And again, just circling back to my dad, I remember at his funeral, he died uh, years back now. And I remember mm -hmm. all these people coming out of the woodwork. This one guy was like, yeah, your dad just like drove out to my farm one night and invited me to his church. And I was like, I just looked at him and I said, yeah, I could go to church with this guy. And so he went to church and, and got saved. And another guy had been in and out of rehab and said, your dad befriended me, even though I was drunk and high half the time and prayed for me. And, and I'm here today because of him. So you never know. It might be at your funeral. It might be after that. Um, but you never know the impact you might have. So Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. I'd love to have met your dad. What a great guy. You will someday. You will. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes, I will. All right. Well, Jeff Orge, everyone, again, uh, check out the book Shadow Christians here at Boundless. Jeff, thanks again for being with us. Hey, thanks a lot. As we finish out the show, we love to open up our inbox, and that is where we answer one of your questions. And today we have one of our counselors, Elaine Humphreys, with us. Elaine, welcome. Thank you. 
Very good to have you. Okay, um, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, read this. It's from one of our guys and then let you jump in. He says, I've been dating my girlfriend, who's a new Christian, for seven months. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that love keeps no record of wrongs. I do, however, feel that I sometimes keep a record of wrongs done by my girlfriend. She's told me that she has struggled with eating disorders and being underweight before becoming a Christian. She's even said she's overcome this problem, but feels like I'm always bringing up her past because I'm sometimes concerned about her health. For example, she'll use a fat burner, exercise, and eat healthy, but it concerns me that she might be obsessed over the amount of body fat she has. In my opinion, she's not overweight at all. How can I find a sense of calm around such an issue, even if I created it? <laughs> yeah, I I think some of the things that you're bringing up are really legitimate concerns. And the first thing that comes to mind is that it seems like it's going to take a lot more work and time getting to know each other really well. So I, I always say there's no substitute for time. Take lots of time getting to know each other and um, don't rush into anything. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, Elaine, where's the balance for this guy? Because I appreciate his concern and it sounds like he, his heart is really in the right place and yeah. he's recognizing his own fears around the situation. What's the good balance between honest concern and kind of being a little bit nitpicky or a little bit, you know, Holy Spirit-ish on this issue? Yeah, well, I know that it's not his intention to be nitpicky, but again, I think his concerns are legitimate. And it's going to be really important for him to get to know this person at a deeper level. Um, You know, there's judging, and then there's discerning and assessing. And I think, you know, his, it sounds like his heart desire is to assess the situation. And especially if this is going to be a long-term relationship, it's going to be important for him to be, to find out who is this person really? Mm -hmm. What is her heart um, what are some of her struggles that she may not be totally willing to look at thoroughly and expose to him? So I think it's really important not to judge himself for wanting to know these things. I think it's it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. So what would you say? I mean, it sounds like he has broached the topic with her, but what's a way for him to kindly kind of allay his fears or get the information he needs without really irritating. I mean, because she said she's, you know, dealt with this, that it's in the past, whatever, but, you know, he's still concerned. Is there anything else he can ask or is there a point where he needs to just drop it and trust that she is doing what's necessary? Yeah, I, I don't think he should drop it. I honestly think the loving thing to do is to pursue it a little bit further. And some of the things he could ask would be like, well, how did you overcome it? You said that, you know, this is in your past. What are some of the things you did to overcome the issue, the problem? Um, What did you learn about yourself and about God in the process? What do you have in place now that keeps you in a healthy place? Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of connection and community do you have where you can truly be honest about your struggle? You know, so I think digging a little deeper is perfectly okay. Yeah, yeah, that's good insight. And it is helpful. I mean, it kind of reminds me, it's like any, you know, if you're dating anyone who has overcome or is overcoming some kind of struggle, whether it's a sin struggle or, you know, just something in life from their past or whatever, it is good to keep the conversation open and the dialogue open and be willing, you know, and very forgiving, very grace filled on either side of the issue to be like, okay, you know, I want to um, trust God in the process, but I also want to ask the right questions. And I, I think that's a good way, a uh, good way to start. So absolutely. I think it was a little bit of a red flag that she didn't, she wanted to kind of shut that down mm-hmm. and not talk about it. Oh, that's in the past. That's done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that may be a red flag. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So maybe just getting a little more information yeah. and, uh, and seeing kind of where it goes. And again, where, you know, maybe there are other people in her life who've known her longer that also can kind of attest to this, like, oh, she's in a much healthier place mm-hmm. now, maybe mm-hmm. getting some reconnaissance from some other folks uh, could be helpful as well. Right. So mm-hmm. awesome. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for weighing in on this and giving yeah. your expertise. Hopefully it'll help him move forward in a healthy way with this. Hopefully. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, folks, well, that is it uh, for this week's show. And as always, we do love to hear from you. And specifically this time around, I just want to remind you yet again to take our Boundless survey. It only comes around every six years or so, so do it. Uh, Boundless.org slash survey and weigh in. Uh, We definitely want more people taking this and uh, getting the word out about all the great things that we could be doing in the future. And we need your insight in order to do that. So I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.